For May 17th, 2010, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 98. Get to the chopper! Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the left coast of America, I'm your host, Matthew Rather, here with the panel to overthink summer movies, part three, and whatever else comes into our mind. Let's jump right into it. Though none of us has seen it, uh, this weekend's big movie was the Ridley Scott, Russell Crowe, Kate Blanchett, Robin Hood uh, film, prequel, I think, or... Some some sort of quill. I forget I forget which which quill it was. Uh, perhaps it was the turkey quill that was uh, fastened onto the back of one of his arrows uh, as it flew through the air for truth and justice. In honor of this film, the question of the week: What is your favorite vigilante, pop culture or real? Uh, favorite vigilante, Pete Fenzel from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Woo! Welcome to the show. Yeah. Awesome. Excellent. Glad to be here. Really glad you guys could have me on the show. Really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Uh, favorite vigilante, huh? So let's see. That's a word that's not in English, but I know what it means. You know, we're going to – I feel like we have some sort of over-the-top, like, Batman, like uh, – like apportionment, like we've done too much Batman, we've done too much Superman. So I was actually frantically trolling the uh, the Wikipedia page for the word vigilante to try to find some sort of example that's not some sort of superhero or whatnot. Um, and I think I'm gonna have to uh, I'm gonna have to go with just sort of at random, hoping they didn't commit too many atrocities. The Sua Jalunskunta, who were the protection corps of the White Finns in the early 20th century Finnish Civil War. They were a paramilitary vigilante organization in Finland that formed the nucleus of the White Army. And if you must know, the White Army was supported by the German Empire against the Red Army of the Russian Soviet Republic, for the heart of Finland, and it was fought in 1918, which was a year of rebuilding when many countries, having been devastated by war, were looking for ways to come together. So I'm going to go with, let me try to say it one more time, the Suajelunskunta of the Finnish Civil War. Okay. I found the Wikipedia page going through that, and I found their logo. Oh, yeah. It's got its nature theme going on. It's nice. Yeah, <laughs> excellent, excellent. We're nothing but class here. We're full. We're not going to be accurate, but we're going to be informative. Uh, so there you go. You've learned something new. Um, all right, we we uh, we continue with Mark Lee. Okay, well, I was. Uh, I'm going. I'm in a big Civil War kick these days. In case you haven't noticed, I was going to go with uh, John Brown, who was the uh, abolitionist whose raid on Harper's Ferry. Um, in a lot of ways, was one of the many catalysts for the Civil War. He was trying to spark a slave insurrection. Um, but I'm going to twist this on the head a little bit, and I'm going to go with the, uh, the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, they were great. They were fantastic. No, obviously the Ku Klux Klan, reprehensible, <laughs> racist, um, you know, haters of people like me, minorities and Catholics and whatnot. Um, but here's why uh, I'm picking them. They did a damn good job at what they were doing. They actually were a huge part in uh, ending Reconstruction and uh, turning back <laughs> a lot of the uh, advances uh, or the, uh, the reforms that uh, post-Civil War, which were trying to do things you know, like allow black people to vote. And the Ku Klux Klan and other people who were propagating political violence in the South 
post Civil War were a big part of uh, being the South being able to reinstate you know state Jim Crow and basically you know keep the keep keep the minorities down. So they deserve props because they were successful in what they were trying to do. I'm just saying. Mark, is this is this like when overthinking it? We're finally just like, well, f this. Like we're just gonna start saying stuff. Like, no, f all this overthinking. We're just gonna pick things at random and talk about them. I do not approve of the KKK. I'm going on the record. <laughs> I on the record. I, just, I didn't just say that they like unlike most vigilantes who are either fictional and completely unrealistic. Or someone like John Brown, who you know didn't quite achieve his singular objective. The KKK really did. Some well, of the arguments I, I, might, I may not know whether or not the Sua Jelen Skunta actually did any horrible things during the Finnish Civil War, but I do know the KKK has done a lot of bad stuff that I'm not entirely comfortable with. I think it's key to respecting a vigilante that you remain willfully ignorant of the bad things that they've done. I think they've it, all done bad things. No, I, I, vigilantes. No. Uh, no, no, no endorsement should be read into our selection of particular vigilantes. It's just, it's just who, who we, uh, th- we're answering this question with who we feel the most compelling vigilante is. Um, oh. yeah. Actually, no, Matt, the question was, who is your favorite? <laughs> That's a good, which leaves us in a very gray area. <laughs> I, almost, uh, I almost said Sarah. I almost said Sarah Angel, but I figured no one would get it, so never mind. You guys can go ahead with talking about the Klan for Christ's sake. Jeez Louise, somebody right. called me a cab. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you're a cab. <laughs> continuing down oh. the continuing down the eastern seaboard from Pete Fenzel's Cambridge to Mark Lee's New York City. I'm sorry, I should say to Grand Dragon Mark Lee's New York City. <laughs> <laughs> Who is Asian? He's an Asian dragon. He shouldn't like the clan. They don't like him very much. That's true. Enter the enter the grand dragon. Uh, all the way down to Philadelphia, where Josh McNeil is uh, joining us. He is another historian. Like Mark, he is another historian. So what? what I'm sure this will be good. Josh, favorite vigilante or most compelling vigilante, or uh, you know, a vigilante <laughs> that you think would be funny. Uh, my, I'm going to go with, uh, with Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday. Uh, not the actual guys who were pretty much the mafia of the Old West, but the guys <laughs> from Tombstone. The Tombstone rendition of Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp, who are tremendous badasses and also very cool. Uh, it was Val Kilmer's greatest, uh, perhaps only really truly great role. Uh, and just one of the best movies ever made. Okay, I've probably seen. You know what? Light lightning round, lightning round question of the week. <laughs> Better roles for Val Kilmer than the guy in Tombstone. Uh, the gay, de- <laughs> <laughs> the gay detective in uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Iceman in Top Gun. Iceman was not better than Doc Holliday. <laughs> he has like four lines. <laughs> he has Who, whoever he is in the MacGruber movie. <laughs> MacGruber. I, yeah, I hear it's that, not as it, terrible it, as, a, as, a, as everyone assumes it will be. The, uh, yeah, the name in, in is Dieter von Kuntz. C-U-N-T-H. <laughs> which, you Have know. we all forgotten the saints so quickly? Or what about <laughs> Mad Mardigan? Mad Mardigan, the greatest swordsman who ever lived. Listen, Peck. You better let me out of this cage, Peck. Uh, I dwell in darkness without you, and it went away. Uh. Anyway, have you guys sorry, seen Tombstone? 
He's dropping. Yeah, he's got, no, the, like, he's got the southern, like Georgian gentleman thing. He's like cold and threatening. He's like, guys, messing with him. He's like, why, Ed? What an ugly thing to say. It's just badass. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. I've what loved about- this since I was like ten. I will defend this to the very end. Even the pot dealer from uh, Entourage is not as good as Doc. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Sure, fair enough. Uh, all right, and then finally, finally for, from. Uh, Finally, from me, you know, so a vigilante is a person who who violates the state's mono- who invades the state's monopoly on violence in a lot of, in a lot of cases, and certainly on judicial power, right? Um, so I'm going to actually choose a, a person who's a vigilante in two sentences, and that is Omar from The Wire. Uh, not only because he operates outside the law, outside the, the, the law of the state, but he also uh, operates outside the law of the other drug dealers. Right, because he is ripping off the the other drug dealers and presumably uh, giving back to his community. Um, so Omar, a vigilante, not only from from justice, but from the alternative system, the shadow system of justice that is that is set up in the uh, the drug selling gang. I believe it's referred to as the game. The game, yeah, a vigilante. He does not abide by the rules of the game. He he doesn't. Bo- I don't abide. think Omar gives. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. He he abides neither by the rules of the state nor by the rules of the of the game. You you don't think that that Omar uh, gives to the poor when he when he robs from the. Uh, I don't think I think Omar keeps. Doesn't he keep most of the money? Or like I guess what does he give it to the guy at the uh, the guy at the bar, the blind guy? Or I mean, what does Omar do with his money? I mean, I thought he just sort of hung out with his dude and like just was like, yeah, like having money, indeed. But yeah. maybe maybe he like has some sort of like housing development. It's been a little while. It's been a year or two since I've watched any wires. So I don't really remember Omar engaging in any sort of stimulus package for West Baltimore, but I think uh. it's entirely possible. <laughs> <laughs> the stimulus package for West Baltimore. All right, that is the panel tonight. Four of us. Uh, we're gonna get to the movies in just a second. Uh, in the meantime, I want you to know that if you have anything that you you would like to say, we're gearing up for another listener feedback episode because they're coming they're uh, coming in. You can the comments are coming in. You can email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com. You can uh, call the voicemail at 203-285-6401. That's, uh, oh, we have an acronym, but it, it, it's kind of naughty, so I guess we don't say it anymore. Um, 203-285-6401. Yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was represented to me that it was insensitive, the, uh, the acronym that we use. Yeah, but they've been representing that to you for like two years now, and you just now decided that you didn't want to say it anymore? No, it's never, it's never, it was brought up to me directly. Why are you discriminating against those of us that like to consume wood products? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, I've made more of a thing now about it than I intended to. It's 20 Eat Log 01. That's 203 285 6401. And if you email or uh, or call, make sure to leave your latitude and longitude in degrees, minutes, and seconds uh, so that we know. Uh, so that time travelers from the future know exactly what coordinates to to pinpoint. Um, you can also use the comments on the uh, you can use the comments on the show notes for this show on overthinkingit.com, or you can use the contact form on overthinkingit.com. Hey, I want to plug something that I haven't said in a little while. Uh, we have a listener survey on the homepage of the website at overthinkingit.com. Uh, if you could fill it out, we would be mo- uh, most grateful to you. It allows allows us to get some demographic information about our listeners so that 
people can so that we can sell out and uh, sell your ears, sell 30 seconds of airtime to people who want to uh, reach you with their message, probably audible.com because that's really the only person I've ever heard advertised on a podcast. Um, so we uh, it, it takes a while. It's a long survey. And yes, I'm sorry about that. But um, it, we we really appreciate it. If if you can do that, it will help us make the show marginally worse. Um <laughs> but at least uh, more solvent than it is. And uh, to those people who have donated to the show. The plan is to make it a whole lot worse. And right. you can save the day. <laughs> yeah, you well <laughs> you can save the day. Yeah, we'll 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 make it a we'll make it a porn podcast. Anyway, so uh, yes, get in touch and uh, and yeah, and uh, survey survey on the site. Sorry it takes about ten minutes to fill out. It's a lot of lot of little radio buttons to, to press. Uh, Sorry about that. It's a regular web demographic survey. On to the show. Hey, you know what Friday is? Uh, uh, it's, oh, it's, it's, oh, oh, tell me, it's, oh, I'm getting so excited because it's somebody's birthday. It's a special day. You, it's you, really you don't, special you, day. somebody you, tell me what it is. You, you don't know what it is? I pity the fool that don't know what Friday is. Friday, <laughs> May 21st, is the birthday of Mr. T, whose full name is, oh, I forget. What's his full name? Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's, uh, no, 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 it's Lawrence. Lawrence Turiad. Turiad. I'm not sure if we're pronouncing that right. I should have done some prep for this, shouldn't I have? Yes, and we are hosting the, <laughs> we are hosting the Mr. T Party, a, a nationwide. It's actually more than nationwide. At this point, it's gone global. Uh, celebration of Mr. Mm. T, uh, which you can celebrate by being somebody and not by being somebody's fool. How do you do that? Well, you watch episodes of the A Team. You can watch Rocky Three. You can, uh, you know, uh, uh, go on Google Video to see the full uh, version of "Be Somebody" or "Be Somebody's Fool." We're celebrating the man. We're celebrating Mr. T uh, as a, um, you know, as a political force for uh, for the American way, the real America, and uh, as a unifying political force, as opposed to some of the more divisive uh, political uh, movements that have happened in in america uh under under the moniker tea party we're having what we call uh a mr t party so join the mr t party uh i pity the fool who treads on me uh in the mr t party and uh <laughs> so you can find out more information uh on overthinking it.com if you search for mr t party or uh on our facebook page which is facebook.com slash uh overthinking it uh, you'll see posts about about the Mr. Tea Party, and you can RSVP to the event, share it with your friends, and do all of those other social media things. Hey, Pete, I wanted to ask you. Speaking of of uh, the Mr. Tea Party on Facebook, I wanted to ask you something. You quit Facebook uh, recently. That's correct. Yes, I did. How 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 is it going? It's actually going pretty well. I don't really miss it that much. I wasn't using it that often. I mean, I guess that. Um it did, you know, I liked being connected with people, and I liked occasionally seeing people's pictures and stuff, and I certainly liked that pictures of me were being tracked and keep, you know, being put somewhere, because I rarely organize them, but, I mean, Facebook isn't really all that useful. I think that's pretty much why people use the Farmville stuff so much, is because they want to go on Facebook, because you go on Facebook looking for friendship and looking for that fulfillment that comes from friendship, but it's not really there, right? It's only really in real life or on the phone or whatnot. So, like, you go on there, and you're like, well, you know, how come I'm not feeling that warm feeling I get when I'm with all my friends, 
Uh, and then you're like, hey, I'm going to grow some corn. And you go and you go to Farmville or you do zombie fights or something or you download a whole bunch of really shady applications to take your personal information and sell it to the Russian mafia. So, hey, you know, knock yourself out. Uh, I mean, I don't, don't want to say I have an axe to grind, but uh, if I were a member of the, of the Finnish White Guard, the Sua Jeloskunta, <laughs> uh, I, would, I would perhaps sharpen my axe. Uh, no, it's been good. I really haven't missed it very much. I, I worry that I gave up an asset by giving up all those contacts. Um, that I can't use it to promote, you know, overthinking it or to, like, spread the word on cool stuff that's happening. My ability to sort of spread the word on the Mr. Tea Party is much diminished, uh, although the event's still up there because I didn't start it myself. Uh, it's It feels good. And it only really felt bad, like, right before I, I clicked the button. So, that seems to be – I mean – that that seems to be the the primary use of it for people like us who do things like uh, a website or comedy performances or you know the live theater or what have you. Um, you know that that you sort of leverage your social capital to promote the stuff that you're doing in the real world. I never understood the uh, the like the casual games on on Facebook, but yeah, no, if they're selling, uh, you know, and I actually I'm keeping mine for that reason so that I can continue to uh, I can continue to promote things that things that I do, and I've I've stripped it of every um, I've stripped it of every. Uh, single bit of, of personal information, you know, other than the URL of these websites like overthinkingit.com. Um, but other people can tag pictures of you and like, you know, this is, this is, this is a thing. Like it's, it's making it easier for employers in the course of doing their due diligence on you when you like apply for jobs and things like this to find that picture of you, you know, I don't know, drinking sangria out of the pitcher, uh, in a, in a ethnically insensitive t-shirt, right? At a, at a bar or something. I don't know. Oh, maybe that picture of Mark in an ethically insensitive picture. <laughs> <laughs> Worshipping his favorite vigilante. Yeah, or... or, uh, or... <laughs> yeah, no, that's... A loose definition of the word favorite here, you guys. <laughs> definition of the word favorite. I'm trying to think outside of the box. So, um... Well, good. All right. Well, let us... Uh, let's keep tabs on, on the, the quit, quitting Facebook watch, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Let's um all right well let's jump in back into uh back into summer movies we got i think did we get all the way up to the twilight saga eclipse in our last episode uh, I mean, I have no problem with doing it twice because it's just that magical <laughs> uh, it's a magical <laughs> story of love yeah, and like sideburny apparently apparently he's got sideburns now, Ooh. which is like the big thing did what we, last time we talked about twilight. Did we mention the fact that um, Bill Condon has signed on to direct the final Twilight movie and how kind of is, bizarre that is? Who he's is the, Bill Condon? He's the guy who directed Dreamgirls. And if I think of a movie that is uh, not particularly like Twilight, a movie like Dreamgirls comes to mind. Is it going to be a musical, the last one? Yeah, uh, they're actually they're actually right. Yeah, they're they're writing songs, and they're firing Kristen Stewart. Miley Cyrus is going to play all the uh, uh, all the parts, <laughs> all the parts. Sweet. Well, it looks like they figured out they like to make money. Finally, after these like really these, like art <laughs> films that have been cashing in. Uh, yeah. So, oh yeah, he's doing break. Was it Breaking Dawn? Is that what the last one is called? Yeah, Breaking um, Dawn. Then, okay. Dream Girls. Oh, he did, like got. 
<laughs> I'm looking at his credits, and of course, my eyes immediately snapped to Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh. Right. Starring uh, Tony Todd <laughs> as the Candyman. Um, and such great stars as Bill Nunn, also known as uh, Radio uh, R- Rakim from uh, Do the Right Thing, as Reverend Ellis, who has, I'm sure, not a uh, stereotypically driven character at all. Um, yeah, I hope that he just, you know what I hope he does? I hope he sneaks the entire footage of Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh into all of the canisters for Twilight uh, Breaking Dawn that go out all over the, uh, the country and the world so that everybody gets to watch that wonderful movie. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. Oh, did he direct Sister, Sister? Oh, wait, no, that's not T.N. Tamara. That's some sort of movie about um, a Louisiana congressman. That's yeah, wasn't wasn't T.N. And Tamara, wasn't that a, uh, a television show? Yeah, I was hoping that there was some sort of full-length motion picture uh, with, like, the little kid, too, from uh, who had, like, guested on uh, Full House a couple of times, right? Yeah, and if there had been a t- – where, where where's that movie? I'd love to watch, like, Sister, Sister, The Return, like, a full-length motion picture about their exciting um, – their exciting return from Mars, which is where they went at the season for series finale, right? They went out to space uh, to go meet aliens. In fact, Fan- sure, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> you think so? I think I think we're missing the point, which is that we're all tremendously excited about the Twilight movie, which will be watched by everybody except for us. Uh, and I think that we should really pay respect to that uh, because it's going to happen, and it's going to be very successful and popular. And we're not going to watch it, not even on video. Uh, well, we haven't. Our girlfriend. Yeah, even even if our even if our girlfriends drag us drag us to it, <laughs> yeah. OMG, um, we haven't. Uh, yeah, you know, I still haven't released the uh, alternative commentary to Twilight that I have uh, that I've been sitting on for a little while. We recorded a uh, an al- alternative. Uh, commentary with Parrish Belinky and I watching Twilight together and just sort of sharing our thoughts as they occurred to us. I, I got to get that on overthinking it at some point. Maybe I'll do it pegged to. Uh, maybe I'll do it pegged to the release of this this last Twilight movie. The thing is, there's no video with it. You have to get your own video of Twilight either by renting the DVD or you know <laughs> through channels. Um, and uh, and and then you you sync it up. You play it. We tell you when to. Uh, we tell you when to play it. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, we should just do New Moon, too, and we should release them both the week that Eclipse comes out. Uh, oh, yeah, I guess. Big, yeah, big. I guess New Moon is out on DVD now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or at least can be, gotten, can be gotten through channels. Yep. What channels do you speak of, oh, Matthew? Uh, I wouldn't speak. It's, HBO. It's, yeah. <laughs> HBO, video on demand, streaming. Uh, yes, I would not. Don't 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 steal media. It's it, if you steal media, the terrorists win. I know because the MPAA told me that. Um, speaking of speaking of what, Pete? Yeah, and we we kind of lost Pete. Okay, we lost Pete. It's too bad. Spe- it sounded like he had something good right there. Yeah, it sounded like that was a really good segue coming up. <laughs> speaking of uh, speaking of things that the MPAA says. Uh, Let's go. Uh, let's go right into July. Night and day, uh, previewing summer movies of July. Night and day, uh, released second of July, fourth of July weekend, uh, in uh, twenty ten, July twenty ten, starring Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz, and uh, and this is this is an action movie. Now I can't tell from the tra- the trailers of this movie whether Cameron Diaz is like an unwitting 
unwitting person pulled along uh, with Tom Cruise or whether she gets bad at whether it's more of a Mr. and Mrs. Smith kind of thing where they're both equally badass. Uh, it, it looks like she's not particularly badass. No, yeah, that that she's this is, um This is Mission Impossible for like the comedy version. Right? I, I mean that's yeah, that's what Cruise is going for here. What was the last thing we saw Tom Cruise in? Tropic it Thunder? Was, yeah. Tropic Thunder, which in which he was really funny for 45 which, seconds. Which was his comeback from the whole Tom Cruise crazy jumping on a couch business, right? Which which is ironic because it was a pretty crazy cameo, you know? Yeah, it was awesome as mm-hmm. what it was. As they go, hey, Pete, we had a sense that there was a great segue um, coming up, uh, and we lost it when, when Skype cut you out. Can you just uh, let us know what the uh, segue was? I had mentioned the MPAA, and you uh, jumped in with... And Pete's hello? gone again. Oh, hey, Pete. No! Hey, hey, hey. See, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Can you? Yeah, okay, great. So it went... Speaking of the terrorists winning, Tom Cruise is making a movie that's coming out in July. No, we were just talking about how he's rehabilitated himself. Well, I, this image, was before you were talking about that, before you were talking about Tom Cruise. Um, and I mean, I guess he's not a terrorist, I suppose. I was casting him as a bit of a heel, I guess, which is, I think, the appropriate term for Tom Cruise now. He's a, a character in the public that we love to hate, right? But he's not, like, a bad person. It's like, we never really thought that, like, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin was, like, a bad dude. Although he did commit a bunch of spousal abuse, and that makes him a pretty bad dude. But, like, that wasn't really part of his fictional character, per se. Um, but, yeah, it's just like, you know, he's a heel. It's like, oh, Tom Cruise, crazy guy in a cult, makes propaganda movies and jumps all over the place. It's like, all right, you know, he's making a movie. Go Maverick, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, um, you know, you want to, you know, you want to, you want to sort of boo when you see him on the cover of People magazine. You know, especially because he's with Rather's first love, Katie Holmes. Uh, it is, it is true. So yeah, sad, the former, yeah. the 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 former future Mrs. Rather, uh, Katie Holmes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a shame. Yeah. She really went down a couple notches in my in my estimation when she uh, when she took up with with Tommy Cruise. Um, yeah, well. Too, too bad that none, none of those people really can get work anymore except for Jen uh except the one who played um Michelle Williams who played who played Jennifer uh the the blonde one haven't seen Katie Holmes in anything much I guess she did some Broadway James Vanderbeek was on Mercy but that got canceled I guess Josh Jackson is on um Josh Jackson is on Fringe, Fringe, which is which has been awesome for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I hear good things. Good in it. I hear good things about that that show. Maybe maybe he was the one you know who who really could act in that uh, in in that thing. So Tom Cruise, born in 1962, that makes him uh, uh, that makes him what? Five years old. (laughs) Seventy-five years old. Well, his 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 thetan is eternal, but the uh, 30, 30, 38, right? Thirty eight. No, no. Uh, Forty eight. Forty eight. No. Yeah. Forty eight. Almost fifty. Tom Cruise is almost is almost fifty. That's a that's a hell of a thing. You know who's also almost fifty? Demi Moore. Tom Cruise and Demi Moore. Almost fifty. Mm. Hold on a second, guys. Is going back to the Tom Cruise hating and uh, <laughs> is it still a thing? To want to hate Tom Cruise? Apparently, it's like, not seriously. a thing to hate the Ku Klux Klan anymore, because I thought that was a thing. But apparently, you don't think that's a thing anymore, Mark. Now, do you? Yeah, you pretty much got to let Cruise slide. 
if you're hate, if yeah, I don't know. Is I think hate guys, that's, that's 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 apples and oranges here. <laughs> <laughs> you Historical say the Tom- vigilante group versus Tom Cruise, a crazy Scientologist. Yeah, you guys. Sheesh. I, mean, I think this movie is our, his attempt to sort of like get a forgiveness from us, right? And be like, hey, look, I'm a funny dude. Like, laugh at me. Have a good time. Well, that was you know? that was that was Tropic Thunder. Right. And now he's he's, he's he's continuing on that. Well, maybe. Well, I mean, he, he wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't like uh, Tropic Thunder was kind of under the radar. It wasn't. He was never advertised as being kind of an attraction as the reason you would come come to the movie. And he didn't do all that much in the movie. I mean, he had you know four minutes of screen time in it, if that. But it was a highly memorable and awesome four minutes. Well, yeah. it, it was good. I, yeah, I mean, I think that this is part of a play to kind of, uh, to, to kind of uh, uh, rehabilitate his image in, in, in the comedy world, where it's like, you know, you can't, hey, you're 48, you're almost 50, you can't, unless you're Harrison Ford, you know, you can't do this forever, right? You, you have to, um, at some point, you have to, like, I don't know, become a lovable scamp. Or, uh, you know, I don't know, an, an, an adorable older gentleman. Wait, you're saying that Harrison Ford is becoming a lovable scamp? No, Harrison Ford seems to be the, the, the exception <laughs> that challenges the rule that, uh, you know, you can't, stay a, uh, you can't stay an action hero, you know, well into your 90s as he has. Get off my plane! <laughs> I lo- All right. I love Har- I, like I, love, I love Harrison Ford's cameo in Borat. Do you remember that? No, boy, no, Bruno. Do you remember Harrison Ford's cameo in Bruno? Never saw Bruno. Like, oh, I haven't... Oh, you never saw Bruno? Oh, man, nah. Bruno's great. You missed out. Bruno was really funny. There's this whole... There's this really funny sequence where Bruno is, is screening a, uh, a, a sort of pilot for a talk show called Bruno Celebrity... Or Celebrity Max Out with Bruno... Uh, where he keeps talking in the show about how he's going to have an exclusive interview with Harrison Ford at some point, and then it's like lots of pictures of, of penises, and it's like lots of pictures of him dancing around obscenely. And you watch the focus groups that are being forced to watch this by like, and like you get their like honest feedback afterwards, being like it's really awful and horrible, and like why would you ever give this person a television show? And then the joke is that he comes in at the end and he's like really offended that they didn't like it. But uh, but in, during the end of the episode. It's fairly early in the movie, so I'm not giving anything away. Uh, like, he finally gets a picture of Harrison. He, like, he gets outside of a restaurant, and, like, Harrison Ford comes out the restaurant, and he just grumbles, like, get the away from me, and, like, pushes him away. And it was a very good cameo. And that was a lot of buildup for not much of a story, but that's what you get on a clan-loving podcast, all right? Can't stand, can't stand this intolerance. I'm just going to go back to humping that piano key whenever anything I say <laughs> Programmed against, uh, programmed against night and day, uh, M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong's The Last Airbender, uh, d- d- which I guess is getting a last-minute conversion to 3D. Right? Shocking. Really? Yeah, no, I think it's getting the cheap, right. it's getting the Clash of the Titans treatment. It's getting a, a, like a headache-inducing conversion to, uh, into the third dimension, though it was, though it was shot on... Um, it was shot on the thing. So I guess it's, it, it was shot 2D. I guess it was um, uh, the first season of the animated TV series Avatar The Last Airbender, which, which was the first Avatar I was aware of. But apparently James Cameron had locked down the title Avatar from, uh, for time immemorial. He had like registered that title with the WGA or something like that uh, a long, long time ago so that no one else could use that title but him. So the TV show Avatar The Last Airbender has to be adapted uh, to films as The Last Airbender. Um, now, isn't it funny, though, like, uh, 
what do you call the sequel to the last airbender the the airbender after the last one you know the the post ultimate last <laughs> the, the post ultimate well, well, airbender last airbender seems like a, a strapping young lad so um, you know he can be the last airbender uh, you know and keep bending air over the course of several movies so i don't know if anyone watches this go ahead I don't know if anyone watches this cartoon, but apparently it has something to do with Captain Planet because, like, uh, like the Fire Nation, the Water, Earth, and Air Nations all all come together uh, in Asia. So it's like it's like the Asian Captain Planet. So so far as I can tell, except without actual Asians, which that was the whole casting controversy that was spreading around the interwebs a while back. Um, does Does M Night Shyamalan have a cameo as Heart Kid? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! No, but there, there, sorry, there is an actual there is an actual Asian in the movie. It's it's Dev Patel, the guy from uh, uh, Some Dog Millionaire. But he's the bad guy because he's dark. Is he really? <laughs> yeah. But he's a he's a South Asian, not an East Asian, right? They should be East Asians, uh, right? Doesn't it have kind of sort of East Asian design and motifs and martial arts and things like this? That, that is my understanding. As or are you saying, or Mark, are you saying that all Asians look alike? That's what you're saying, Matt. And that's what is that's what you are saying. Hey, hey, I'm not the grand dragon on this on this podcast. Pete, you and I need to each pick an <laughs> ethnic group to offend. What really? Um, yeah, Matt, Matt and, and Mark have already picked two. I'm gonna look, go with white a, people. Suck it. I white took people. a I took a sigh in the Finnish Civil War, so I'm sure there's a lot of people <laughs> who disagree with me. And I don't know whether they won or lost the Finnish Civil War because I didn't read the rest of the Wikipedia page. I think that they lost, so that means that they're probably upset with me right now. Guess I guess since the communists didn't take over Finland, they mu- the Reds must have lost. Uh, so yeah, so I, I I offended the Soviets of the 1930s and 20s uh, and teens. Who are a pretty rowdy bunch. Like they like to cause trouble. So I don't, I'm okay with that. Otherwise, I can guess I can say a bunch of bad things about like what, like, like boo Brazil. I hate you, Portuguese speaking people. What am I? Huh. I, can't, I can't hate you. You guys make feijoada. I love feijoada. I can't stay mad at you. I love Mukeka. I love too much Brazilian food. The Last Airbender is going to be serviceable. I'm so coming out and I'm making a, a claim right now that this movie is going to be of serviceable quality. I look. I like the trailer. I like the action sequences. Um, this is a. This is. It's on. The, I. I feel like this show is around the same kind of oeuvre as some of the action kid stories that I really like. I probably won't necessarily see it unless I'm really bored. Um, but, like, you know, it's about time that they have one of these things where the people actually do the, like, I'm going to manipulate fire, I'm going to manipulate water. Like, there's so many times where you get the buildup in these movies and there's no payoff. And it's like we have one action scene it's over. Um, after we all talked about you have a choice for 15 or 20 minutes. But, Pete, <laughs> this, is probably, an M- yeah. this is an M. Night Shyamalan movie, and if M. Night Shyamalan movie is about anything, it's about a lot of buildup with no payoff. <laughs> didn't you see signs i guess (laughs) i have it on dvd in my living room but i'm afraid to watch it because i hear there's some sort of horrible twist and i can't take unpredictability in my life so i don't watch signs Uh, also it's got that anti-semite mel gibson in there (laughs) (laughs) anti-semitism pete taking taking a controversial stand against (laughs) anti-semitism Uh, I am against the Red Finns in the Finnish Civil War. They can find me at my house. All right. 
Speaking speaking of wars and warlike things, the next weekend, 9th of July, uh, sees the release of Robert Rodriguez-produced Predators. Just as Aliens followed Alien, uh, Predators is, uh, is a direct sequel to the Predator movie with Adrian Brody in it. And uh, not directed by Rodriguez, but um, but I think produced by him, or he uh, or he wrote the script or something. And um, the the Predator apparently looks like it did in the original movies. But there are uh, just as in the Hulk, uh, there were Hulk dogs. In Predators, there will be Predator dogs. Predator dogs, perhaps. Predogs. Predator Predator dogs. <laughs> I hope there's also a scene where the predator contemplates a lichen clinging to a piece of sandstone in the middle of the desert for five minutes. Because that, that was my favorite part of that movie. And I'm not lying. I love that part of that movie. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I guess it's about time that the predator got a family like Captain Marvel or whatnot. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, but Danny Glover is not reprising his role as like a, a tough-talking L.A. police guy fighting the predator. Is that not happening? Nope. Alas, um, no. These guys. What is the continuity oh. going on with this? I mean, are they discarding Alien vs. Predator and its acclaimed sequel, Alien vs. Predator Resurrection? Well, that's you know what? Here's the thing about Predator and continuity is that you never really have to worry <laughs> about Predator continuity because the, you never know which Predator you're looking at at any given time. <laughs> like they, they don't have names. Like They all sort of look the same, but they can wear different outfits. They're usually wearing masks. And if the same Predator or a different Predator were to show up, he's going to be invisible for half the movie anyway. <laughs> so like you don't, you don't have to worry about whether or not this is like, oh, man, is this the Predator who fought with Jesse Ventura? And show, should he know that Gatlin got have like a repeat firing rate of X and thus not fall for this. No, like it's a different Predator. Like that's the explanation you can make for every Predator movie. It's a different one. There's a lot of them. You don't know which one it is. They don't speak English. Like don't worry about it. Uh, and, and then he gets to start throwing the boomerang stuff and then everything's fine. Uh, I don't know if we can deal with this whole Predator dog thing though because that's I don't like the idea of the Predator subverting animals to its cause because it just seems to lower its status as, as uh, the ultimate hunter. But um, I guess British fox hunters would find it to be honorable. But I don't know if I necessarily. <laughs> um, we uh, we're getting some good stuff in the in in the chat room uh, in our UStream chat room where we're live streaming. Uh, Ryder Ion says, "Denny Glover was two days from retirement. Damn it!" <laughs> and in, <laughs> inmate chimes in, "He's getting too old for this s." Look, unfortunately, the new Predator movie takes place two days after Danny Glover's retirement, so he doesn't have to be in it, uh, which is, I think, sad for all of us, because it was always more fun when he was about to retire than afterwards. Um, oh, they replaced yeah, him yeah, with yeah. another token black guy, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, um, who is decidedly not too old for this uh, stuff. I, I would say that Danny Glover is not a token black guy. I would say that Danny Glover is a black guy. <laughs> um, I would say that in any movie that Danny Glover is in, he is a black guy. And I think that I could say that with confidence and without exception. Except for maybe if he did a cartoon where he plays a bird or a cat, in which case he would be a black guy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in the Lethal Weapon movies, he's like a he's the stand up character. He's like the center of those films. Like, he's the family man. It's like he's the Bill Cosby of action films. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Talk, this is really less a comment about Danny Glover, more about my affection for the Ku Klux Klan, you guys. <laughs> All right, Look, so my, here's my thing out. about Predator. You guys, let's, 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 let's have a prediction here. Will they or will they not make a reference to, get to the chopper? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I think they will. I, I hope think they'll, so. they'll I really get hope chopper. So. And I think they'll have to get to the chopper at some point. Now, here's another thing: Will they make reference to, to the number of cast members from the original Predator who sought and achieved electoral uh, political office, which was several? <laughs> <laughs> there was three of them, right? There was the uh, Schwarzenegger, Jesse Ventura, and then one of the random other guys like ran for Congress, right? Um, which was pretty crazy. Not uh, a and so it's like, yeah. And, this is actually no, no, the kickoff of Adrian Brody 2012. Yes, exactly. Brody, <laughs> Brody for America. I can get Brody. I can get behind a, a pianist, somebody who appreciates music running our country. <laughs> so. I am I am frequently behind a pianist. Zing! Hey, breaking news: Dateline, Utah, uh, Utah State University. Outspoken actor Danny Glover was booed. Uh, on Saturday for, amongst other things, not putting his hand over his heart during a flag ceremony prior to his commencement address at Utah State University. As reported by the Salt Lake Tribune, quote, during the color guard presentation of the American flag, a spectator yelled across the D. Glenn Smith spectrum, put your hand above your heart, Glover. Glover? He called him that? Called him Glover. Apparently, a heckler, <laughs> a heckler in the audience, called him uh, called him Glover. So, Danny Glover, uh, non-token African American man, hater of America. Moving on. No, no, no. I just want to say it's a little-known law in the United States that if you're black, people care whether or not you put your hand over your heart during the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> and we have it's the KKK uh, to thank for that. Yeah, really, they're, they're really responsible, and I think that they they do a lot of work. Um, yeah, if you're guys, black and in the whitest state in America, it's especially true. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's like do what we say. And actually, another little known fact is that you're not required to. You're putting your hand over your heart isn't part of the code or anything like that. It's not part of the code of dignity related to that to that uh, that particular practice. It's it's more informal. It's kind of a baseball game kind of thing. So. I, you know what, people met, I, I met Danny Glover once in a grocery store, and he was very nice. So I, anybody who has a problem with Danny Glover has a problem with me. No Milano's for you, Danny Glover, messing around guy. And if I ever <laughs> hey, see you... You'll, you'll, you'll step to him. Are you interrupting him? me so I don't have to make an idle threat? Well, yeah, I thought you were interrupting <laughs> me so I don't have to make an idle threat. Yeah, no, I went... Did you, did you say, hello, Mr. Glover, I'm a, I'm a great fan of yours. I don't, I don't mean to interrupt your grocery store shopping, but I just wanted to uh, tell you how much I appreciate your work. It was actually a lot more fun than that. It was, um, I was, it was like 6 in the morning, uh, 6.30. Jordan and I had just gone to the gym, and we were coming back. We stopped in the organic grocery store to get some, some milk, and Danny Glover was getting a bunch of vitamins because he was doing a Broadway show. And I got online to wait to, to pay for my stuff, and it was one of those uh, counters. The counter's in front of you. You don't go past it. You buy your groceries, and then you sort of step away, and you walk around to the door. And, um, and Danny Glover's behind me the whole time, and there's this guy with dreadlocks, like, looking around the whole place, making sure nobody's spotting him. He has a headpiece on and stuff. And as soon as I finish buying my stuff, I turn around to Danny Glover and I say, I just want to say it's been a pleasure waiting online at the grocery store with you, sir. Um, and, and, he, and he laughs and he, and he looks at me and I'm covered in sweat because I just come from the gym. He goes, you've been running? And I had been using the elliptical, but I didn't want to correct him. So I was just like something like that. Yeah. And then and he laughed and smiled. He's, he's a very slim dude in real life. Um, oh, yeah. And tall. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was really nice. So I, it was definitely a pleasure waiting online at the grocery store with him. And, and I will repeat that again. And anybody who has a problem with him can take it up with me. So, anyone, there you anyone go. who has a bit, there you go. Pete, no Mint Milano's for you. Sixteenth <laughs> of July sees the release of Inception, Christopher, or or as we like to call it, not Batman Three. Uh, Christopher Nolan's next work, starring Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio, uh, having something to do with dreams 
and uh, you know something to do with dreams and like the 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 structure of the mind and uh, stealing stealing information or, or corporate espionage or or something like that. Does anyone know more about this movie than I do? I think it pretty much uh, sums it up there. The trailers are look are very cryptic, and this is going to be one of those uh, really twist your mind around and bend it halfway halfway past Sunday kind of movies. But he's I he's really specialized like, in that. Sorry. Oh no no! I mean, he has specialized in it, like Memento. You're talking about, and and even like the way that he manipulates the Batman legend. I was just saying that I hope it's like Virtuosity, which is my other favorite. Let's enter the mind of a criminal to figure out the secrets behind the crime movie. Except that in that one, it's Denzel Washington as a cop, and uh, Russell Crowe is a robot made from the brain of a serial killer that regenerates whenever he touches glass. So I suspect it's a slightly uh, higher class endeavor than Virtuosity was. But I really enjoy that movie. Doesn't um, Jennifer yeah, Lopez I mean, should... ha- have a have a movie uh, called? The Cell, which is uh, very much the same, like entering the mind of That's a killer another, or something like that. Yep, let's enter the mind of a serial killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and there's like an ongoing. It's the virtuosity in the cell are similar because there's like there's stuff that's been set in motion by the killer, right, or by the criminal in the re- in real life that is happening in parallel action to like the heroes having to go into the mind of the killer to try to figure out what's going on, right? And then so there's a ticking clock. Like you have to solve the problem in the virtual reality world by the time the real world thing. I think in the cell, it's like a, a tank is filling with water and uh, people are going to drown. The um, cell? In, in the, is it the, uh, ce- is it the cell that, it's, that is, is filling it? with water? Uh, I believe, you know what? Probably, yeah. There's a number of different cells. Um, it's, it's a word that's explored in a lot of different ways um, throughout the course of the movie. It's sort of a theme. It's actually a very pretty movie, uh, The Cell. Very, very beautifully shot. Um, really interesting visuals. Uh, disturbing. Uh, the part where they show all the cross sections of a horse's anatomy are pretty is pretty disturbing. But uh, but yeah, I mean, both of those movies I'd recommend. Uh, it's all Damien Hirst up in this piece. <laughs> so um, yeah, why why do we always want? I like the, speaking of the cell filling with water. That's like you know that's a time lock, right? I'm, I've heard plots in movies driven by. By two kinds of scarcity, one is a scarcity of time, and one is a scarcity of options. So you either you either have a, a ticking clock, or else you have only like three chances, or or something like that. And and they were described, I think, in the in the typology I was reading at the time as a time lock and an option lock. A uh, a, a cell filling with water is an example of a of a time lock. I can't think of an example of an option lock off the top of my head uh, where it's like you can only try. Uh, you can only try three things or, or, and then your iPhone will like, you can only try to log in three times and then your iPhone will delete all of your data because it, it believes that someone is trying to guess your passcode or something. The first, the first one I think of is the never ending story Two, where Bastion has to use all of his memories. Every time he makes a wish with the Orin, he loses a memory, which is depicted as like a silver orb that, uh, that rolls down, um, an apparatus and is lost. And he has, so he has to, in order to make Fantasia, whereas in the first Neverending story, the act of me- remembering and the act of imagining and the sort of engagement of the mind is sort of generative and the 
child's mind is this sort of wellspring of creative energy that is boundless. So Fantasia can be like recreated from a single seed at no cost just by this sort of wellspring of the mind. And there's this right. idea of plenty. Uh, the Neverending Story 2 in the, uh, in the tradition of all awful sequels repudiates everything interesting about the first one and decides that no, the mind is finite and we're closed in in our ability to think of things. So in order to create Fantasia, every time you make a wish, you, have to, you lose a memory. So every time you create something in, in the Fantasia world, uh, part of your real-life self, like, fades away. And it gets to a point in the movie where he only has so many memories left, and, like, the last ones are of his, like, mother and father and stuff. You uh, know, never, yes, never underestimate the, the ability of Hollywood to take what was good about something um, and, and ruin it. Yeah. Okay. Although Go the n- book might have had both elements, but anyway, uh, uh, the book was pretty awesome, too. I recommend the, the Neverending Story book. It's a bestseller in Germany for years, so um, go check it out. Go, go into speak English. Go into Josh for the segue. Uh, just speaking of Fantasia. Oh, yeah. nice. <laughs> speaking of Fantasia is, uh, is the Sorcerer's Apprentice coming yep. out uh, July 16th. And I've, I've seen no previews for this. Like, are they hiding it? I've been to several <laughs> movies that nobody appears to be selling this movie at all, which does not bode well. Um, it's, it's, also, its inclusion of Nicolas Cage, I think, doesn't bode well. Uh, so, so I don't, I don't, did Nick I don't Cage know, not redeem man. himself at least partially with both the what Bad Lieutenant and his delightful role in Kickass? Not Bad Lieutenant, oh, but his delightful so role in he was great in Kickass. I thought, you know, I thought that that I thought he really hit that out of the park in in my own opinion. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but as, he's, as, he's gone from that to a long-haired sorcerer, like playing with the guy from Undeclared. Well, this is this is this is. Uh, <laughs> well, he was in uh, that guy was in Tropic Thunder as well too. Yeah, um, he was the straight. He was the straight man in Tropic Thunder. Yes. Um, yeah, but mostly but, he's the guy from Undeclared. Uh, I should remind everyone that I proved quantitatively that Nick Cage has a high standard of deviation with his movies. Um, so this makes perfect sense, where he swings wildly back and forth between uh, good movies and and crap. So it seems like he needs to, uh, you know, just to to keep the whole to a statistical pattern and uh, do something that probably is going to be garbage with Sorcerer's Apprentice. I just hope that all New York is being drowned by an endless march of brooms with buckets of water, and like that's <laughs> the problem that they need to fix. If there are no brooms with buckets of water, I'm going to be disappointed. Of course, I will probably not know because I'll probably not see this movie. Will, but, you be, uh, will you be more disappointed by that or more disappointed by a lack of a reference to get to the chopper? In the <laughs> I, I really hope that in Predator, there's a broom with a bucket of water that's like flying a helicopter and then we can all be happy. <laughs> That'd be awesome. So, yeah. I'd watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, true. What do you replace? This is kind of like the Pirates of the Caribbean. How do you fill out the Sorcerer's Apprentice? I mean, this is kind of like the Pirates of the Caribbean movie, uh, except, yeah, Brooms and buckets of water seem pretty. Also, uh, uh, also a blue pointy hat. You know, seem seem yeah. like they they are crucial to the Sorcerer's Apprentice brand, if you will. Yeah. So I, my guess is that Nicolas Cage starts out like the sort of old man from Gremlins, where it's like you're not sure whether he's a supernatural being or a homeless guy, and then it's like, no, oh, no, don't talk to the crazy old homeless guy. And then this one kid is nice to him, right? Sort of like uh, the Wizard Shazam and Billy Babson to make my second Captain Marvel reference of the evening. And he's, like, all nice to him. He's, like, oh, wow, like, I could teach you these magical things. And he's, like, really? And he's, like, starts learning. But then he's, like, oh, I don't know if I want to do it. And then this big challenge shows up. And they're, like, I don't want to do it. And they're, like, it's your destiny. You have to do it. And they're, like.
like, why? And it's like, because the movie is happening and you have to do it. And we're not going to talk about why. It's like a prophecy or it's magic. And he's like, all right. And he's going to go do it. But it's not going to work out. And there's a girl that's going to be watching and she's going to be impressed. And then eventually it's going to work out. And there's going to be a callback to something he's taught early in the movie. And then there's going to be a broom probably with a bucket of water at some key moments, which will be a laugh thing for me where I'll get my comeuppance for my doubt in Disney. Uh, and then the evil will be defeated at the last minute by this kid when Nick Cage fails to do it himself, and the girl will hug him and give him a peck on the cheek, because if he kissed him on the mouth, they wouldn't be able to show him the Disney Channel. And that's what I think The Sorcerer's Apprentice is going to be about. At some point, he fights oh, Dr. Is. Octopus. Yeah. <laughs> or Dr. Octagon, hopefully. But oh, <laughs> yeah, probably Dr. Dr. Octopus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh no, I'm movie. sorry, I've been informed by the chat room that I've ruined the movie. I'm sorry, I should have said spoilers before I, like... <laughs> I can't guess what the plot was going to be. <laughs> so yeah, sorry about that. Quick, quick, sonic cat. Um, Let's see if we can make it through. Let's see if we can make it through July. Uh, Steve Carell dinner for schmucks uh, the next weekend, July twenty third. Another one I haven't heard anything about. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this is actually this is a remake of a French comedy that uh, my sister is actually kind of excited to hear that they were making this movie, um, uh, and that that it's like a remake of kind of a classic uh, that, that is uh, pretty well liked. Um, at least, I mean, I don't really know it. I'm not as much into the French cinema. The only French movie I've got is Bryce Denise that my sister gave me for uh, for my birthday one year. But um, yeah, what, it's no got some cred, right? What? I don't. No, did no, you just, no. Did you just... You're not familiar with Jules de Gym. Jules de Gym is that uh, what this is? Jules and, and Jim. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Someone Jules who is right. Okay, sorry. Make continue. Quiz? What is Jules and Jim? You have to. You can't just drop that nonsense word on. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a thing. It's a thing. You know, two guys, one girl, coming of age story. You know, life is hard. It's a very famous French movie. Is there a pizza place involved? Because if there isn't, I'm not interested. <laughs> it is France. They do not have the pizza place. Oh no, that's unfortunate. Yeah, it's, oh, it's like a, it's like it's a, it's like, it's like a baguette place. Oh, fair enough. Well, I'm going to say that it's about time for Steve Carell to make a comedy movie that aspires to be like a good comedy. And I don't mean that in the sense of people like it or it's successful. I mean like a comedy movie that aspires to sort of advance the craft of comedy somewhat or that has some pedigree, like that has a little bit of cachet in the art of comedy. Because Steve Carell, he goes in these movies like Get Smart and Date Night. He does a great job and I really like watching it and it's fun. But you get the sense that he's not really like exercising his craft to its fullest and i'm hoping that this movie you know having the sort of you know cachet that it does being a remake giving the studios a little more confidence maybe to let them play it out because they know that the principle is sound i hope that this is a chance for them to actually really explore and make something special because it's about time like you know pete wouldn't you say though that that steve carell is just uh and i were taught on the these having teenagers podcast we were talking about um uh, we were talking about the anxiety of influence and a map of misreading of of Harold Bloom. And wouldn't you say that Steve Carell is is sort of the weak poet when it comes to comedy? That his art is essentially derivative, and that he is not engaged in kind of strong misreading uh, of the comedy tradition the way that, say, Judd Apatow is. Um, I, first of all, I resent you saying "wouldn't you say" because that implies that I would, right? Because uh, it's like, wouldn't you say, blah 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 blah. Uh, Pete, no, I disagree. Pete, I disagree. Uh, wouldn't yeah. you say, in a way? Wouldn't you say, in a way, that you know well, here's, that? Here's the thing. <laughs> 
Okay, so here's the thing, Matt, and the reason that I disagree is that Steve Carell is not a, a writer, right? Steve Carell is a performer. Um, he doesn't write The Office. It's not really heavily improvised. He reads from the script. Um, and comedy performers are not beholden to the same principles as poets are in terms of needing to establish some sort of new ground in order to advance their art. Uh, comedy is a pretty conservative art form, and there is something to be said for having a, a technique and technical virtuosity, right? Like, you can be a very good comic actor, um, and, like, the legends of comedy, uh, like, think, think back to the people who are respected as, like, really, really great comic performers, not necessarily having been in, in movies that everybody thinks about, but guys like, say, like, Red Skelton, for example, right? Or, like, the great clowns, right? Like, people who are really wonderful at what they do as comedic performers. I don't think that you're thinking, how am I going to be like Red Skeleton, but, but reinvent myself and make it better? Like, that's a problem of narrative. Like, that's a problem of the story. Like, that's a, that's a problem of, like, the character that you're playing within the construct. But, um, I mean, for a comedian, all of that stuff uh, is really just the setup. Like, it's really just the sort of the stage on which the craft of the comedic performer plays. Uh, as an actor, right, and, and as a person who, who makes these things real and breathes into them, it's it's very different from being a, a more serious—I don't want to say serious actor, but like an actor in you know pieces with a more serious tone, right? Like there's a different relationship between memory and emotion, and like what you're doing, and sort of uh, Val Kilmer would be a great example of an actor who's like very very firmly rooted in a different performative tradition, uh, and who has a tremendous amount of like virtuosic ability in it, but who is not really realizing it in context cinematically where you would. Um, where you would obviously see uh, critically by looking at the movie that he's in, like what he's actually accomplishing in his craft. Uh, and I mean, I don't know. It, it's hard to put your your. It's hard to s speak really, really clearly to what it is that Steve Carell is doing really great in these scenes. But I mean, if you take a movie like Date Night, for example, um, there's a wonderful scene in Date Night where uh, where Tina Fey and Steve Carell do like a strip tease dance in a strip club in front of a corrupt politician. Um, and there, there's no words that the Tina Fey and Steve Carell say. And like the action in terms of how it works um, theatrically in the piece uh, is not important, right? It, it's like they need to make this dance happen and there's stuff that's going on with the relationship while it's going on. There's something that's happening with the guy, but it's a bit, right? Like it's a bit. And the comedic and performative skill that Steve Carell shows, uh, shifting between different techniques of performance, like his sort of biomechanical aspects, you know, his sort of different stock characters he plays, the sort of active gesture. Um, there's a lot that goes into his performance of this scene that makes it very, very funny and that I'm really impressed by, but doesn't really have anything to do with trying to be better than anybody else at it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like you have to create something new in the art form to perform these individual scenes. Um, and greatness in comedy, I don't know whether it comes from a different kind of spontaneity or a more mysterious place, but I don't find it to follow the same rubric of anxiety of influence that Harold Bloom uses primarily for poetry, um, which, again, is, is something where you have sort of perfect information about what the person is doing at the time, right? Like you can, you can prove that you're doing it better or worse, and you can read the same thing a hundred times. I don't know. 
I've gone on for a long time about this because comedy is something I care about a lot. But just am I making a little bit of sense to everybody? You do, but the, kind of flying over occasionally the, uh, someone comes along who seems to question the premise. And I'm thinking, though, I guess he's overused as an example. And uh, you know, I wonder how much I wonder how much of his performance anyone really could take at a stretch. But Andy Kaufman is the guy that comes to mind as the as the counterexample of someone who was just he wasn't playing the same game better than than everyone else. He was playing a different game. Right, right. Well, well, I think that Andy Kaufman is also a really gifted comic performer, and this sort of very specific and narrow uh, um, boundary I'm drawing around comic performance for this particular discussion, he was very, very good at it. And you saw it in his professional wrestling, and you saw it in his sort of uh, in Taxi a lot. But he was also a performance artist. You know, he had sort of political feelings about art. And about sort of discourse, right? And he had his own. So he was a lot of things. And and, and being a comic performer was only one of them. Um, he was definitely playing a sort of new kind of game, I suppose. But like that doesn't also diminish from the fact that when he got on stage in front of a bunch of people, he could make them laugh. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, what I would say, I think the, from this big rant, the thing to take away from is. Um, Pay, pay attention not just to what the comedian says or like what jokes they tell um, or how they perform or what characters they do. And pay attention to the interpretation. Pay attention to how they make these things real and like bring these things into the world. And then pay attention to all the little physical and verbal things that they do, which are really finely rooted in craft and very well practiced to, to really heighten and crystallize this com- these comedic acts. And this third thing is the one where I think the real, the real genius is for a comedic performer. Um, uh, and the, the first one is is, a, is, a, is interesting, too. I mean, great jokes are great jokes, and George Carlin's a wonderful, brilliant comedian and a wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, and a lot of his routines are really legendary and genius from the first aspect. He's funny in the third aspect, a little bit less so. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I'll jump away from this and let us keep going with other stuff before we run out of time. But, uh, but I, I would definitely say that, like, that um, clowns are weird uh, because... Uh, if you talk to comedians who've been working in uh, comedic performance for a while, like you find this kind of creepy, tremendous amount of respect for clowning and like the ancient act of clowning, um, which is not shared by the general population pretty much at all, which thinks of clowns as either a diversion or something really creepy. But um, there's also this sort of really deep traditional art to it that is, is part of our culture now, but is because it takes place in these sort of absurd locations like Steve Carell movies, uh, we, don't under- we, don't, um, we don't internalize um, the, the sort of the art of it. It's, it's very Adam's curse-ish, like to, to sort of go back to the, the sort of poetry, you know, Yeats, we must, you know, we must labor to be beautiful, right? Like, like art, when it looks easy, is when it is at its best, which is why people don't respect artists. Um, and he actually equates that to women, like have to look, they have to make doing what they do look easy or else no one will respect them, which is why they don't get respect. Um, but anyway, I, I've, got, I've, been, I've been enraptured by my subject. Um, does anybody else have anything to say on dinner for schmucks? If not, then uh, whether you respect us or not, whether we, <laughs> whether we make it look easy or not, uh, why, don't we, uh, leave the, uh, why don't we leave the summer movie preview there and pick it up next time. Uh, what's next on the docket is Salt with Angelina Jolie and Little Fockers with uh, Ben Stiller and Robert De Niro. Little Fockers. Our culture has grown. And we all know how much you guys desperately wanted to hear about those two films. About, about Salt and Little Fockers. Our, Wait, culture, our, our culture has grown so Please. crass. Please tell me that Little Fockers is about German World War I flying aces. 
because that would be outstanding. <laughs> Pete, Little Fockers is about uh, German World War One flying aces. That that is that's just a, it's wonderful. That is well, made well, actually, <laughs> well, actually, the Fokker is a it refers to the airplane and not the pilot <laughs> who is flying the airplane. Pete, oh, I'm sorry, I. Well, the movie would be about the people, not about the machinery, one would think, right? Because you're going to write a wonderful movie like Little Fockers with all these flying biplane and triplane uh, situations. You're going to focus on the characters more than on the planes, but you're going to have lots of really good shots of the planes, right? Like like in Black Dog when they take all those shots of the trucks or in Top Gun when they have those wonderful shots of the airplanes too. Yeah, It's, I, it's I'm the German Memphis Bell, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. German Memphis Bell. That's spectacular. All right. So uh, you know what to do. Email us at podcastoverthinking.com. Call 203-285-6401. Make sure to leave your latitude and longitude. Do us a favor and fill out that listener survey. Give us some demographic information about you. We promise that, that none of your personal information is kept. It's only used in aggregate so that we can know demographic information uh, about our audience. And, uh, you know, write back and let us know what you think about these summer movies, about, uh, about what we should do for the hundredth episode, which is which is coming up, and we keep getting the suggestion overthink overthinking, which sounds like even more dull than uh, <laughs> you know than a lot of the other ideas that are that are being bandied about, like a clip show. A clip show sounds dull, but uh, overthinking overthinking, wow, that that we're not going to do because we care about our listeners. Do you care about us? Well, then you know what you should do: visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, the site where we subject popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably, it probably doesn't deserve. Get to the website! Ah!